you got your Bibles, good time to grab them. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, if you got a phone or an iPad or you brought your entire iMac in here, uh, you want to go ESV version if you're on a Bible app or something like that, and you'll be able to stay along with us. 1 Samuel 18, it's week three in our Life of David series, and we're just getting a sense as we go through First and Second Samuel of um, you know, as the title says, we were not trying to be clever, the life of David, David's life, and all the different ways that God um, not only ministered directly to David um, as he began his life, as, as we read it, as a shepherd, he eventually became a king. But what we want to do and what, what we've been trying to do even as we're just in week three is we, we want to see David's life as a model of, of the life of Christ. So our goal is to cast a spotlight every week on Jesus, who we see in some ways a, a parallel to David in, in the way that Jesus was our king and, and the things that David did being a man after God's own heart, we see fully fulfilled and, and perfected by Jesus. And so as we read David's story, it's, you know, we're, we're going to read all kinds of different things. I think that are, they're applicable to our lives, but we're, we're also going to see our you know, the things that we fail in and the things that we struggle with um, see, you know, mirrored and, and modeled in, in the true and better king, as we like to phrase it, um, as we point to Jesus through this. Um, and what we're going to see today in the life of David is uh, just this, this really unique friendship that forms between David and Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul. And then simultaneously, we're going to see this toxic relationship form between David and King Saul himself. So we're going to have these two contrasts that we're going to, we're going to look at, these two, these two parallels. And we're, we'll look at the characteristics of both relationships and how David lived in the tension of, of both of these. Um, and by the way, the, these two relationships that David had, you know, they really would describe a lot of our experiences as, as well in, in terms of how we have relationships and how sometimes we have these friendships that are, man, that are so good, that are so healthy, that are so true. And then at the same time, we can have other relationships and friendships that go sour on us. And we're kind of left reeling. We're left feeling very alone. And we see that this happened in the life of David. And we see kind of it very clearly here as we jump into chapter 18. So this is what we understand about that, right? From the get-go is that living in a fallen world means that everything in the world is affected, it's touched by, by brokenness. And relationships are just probably the deepest and most difficult area that brokenness invades. So difficult for us. I mean, there, there's not anybody here that wouldn't say if this relationship wasn't better, life would be better, life would be easier, right? A lot of everything that we deal with, that we are affected by, that we struggle through, a lot of it comes down to relationships. One of the most famous quotes that emerged over the past 30 years is, can't we all just get along, right? And the answer is very rarely, right? Very rarely, right? And uh, we can be flippant about that, but there's a, there's a lot of depth in that, right? Can't we just all get along? Well, the, the reality is that we, we struggle to get along. And even in the church, um, we would love to be able to say, well, but it's so different in the church. Uh, friendships in the church, relationships in the church, no problems whatsoever. 
And we find that the church struggles just like the world does with, with broken relationships. David shows us today that even when we are serving the Lord to the best of our ability, we can be caught in the tension of relationships. We can be caught in the tension of maybe having some true and good and healthy friendships as well as being sort of immersed in some not so great, some unhealthy or some, some toxic relationships. So let's just pick up and let, let's see what, what God has to tell us about David in chapter 18. We're just going to read verses 1 uh, through 16 for Samuel today. It says this, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul. Now remember, let me, let me stop there. I probably should have stopped there before I started there. Um, we're coming off of last week. We're coming off of David and Goliath where David has this incredible victory over Goliath. Saul is introduced to David um, as being this person he, he was unfamiliar with, this son, the youngest son of Jesse, who also had other sons that were fighting and, and had enlisted in, in the Israelite army. And here comes David, and David um, just achieves this um, unlikely victory over, over Goliath. And so we're, we're kind of coming off of the heels of that. And it says in verse one, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, this is Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his, and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. In verse six, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, uh, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me, They've, had, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David for he went out and came in before them, this is the word of the Lord for us today. So a couple of things are happening here as we're just continuing with David's life. David has this kind of rare and beautiful friendship form with Jonathan, who is the crown prince, right? He would have been the next in line to take over the throne from Saul. 
Um, and then at the same time, his relationship with King Saul, it starts to go on the decline. And the reason is that David's victory against Goliath, you know, uh, it's spurred on some, some hit songs on Spotify, right? That had choruses like Saul has struck down his thousands and David is 10,000. I tried to make a chorus out of that. Nothing happened. Couldn't come up with a good melody for that. It didn't, didn't rhyme really well. Um, like women are chanting this chorus on the streets as King Saul returns from the battle. And to be clear, you know, he is not super stoked, as the kids like to say, right? He is not super pumped. It would be like Cleveland Brown fans shifting their loyalty to the Detroit Lions today, right? Um, that would be an outrage, right? That would be betrayal. Um, if I told you guys I did that, what would you do right now? You'd all just storm out right now, right? It would be outrageous. Um, what Saul is doing and what's happening with him right now is that he's getting a glimpse of the future. It's a future that Samuel had told him about and he's now seeing it. He's seeing the future and it's a future that sees David as king over Israel. And so instead of, of receiving this as a movement from the Lord, Saul becomes angry, he becomes possessive. And he becomes bitter and he begins to look at David with contempt from that day forward. It gets worse because it says a harmful spirit rushes upon Saul. We, if we went back all the way to chapter 16, verse 14, it says that the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul at that moment. So when Samuel said, hey, Saul, you disobeyed the Lord. Remember when we started our first week and it turned out that Saul was disobedient to the Lord and Samuel the prophet went to him and said, hey, the Lord is displeased. And because of this act of disobedience, God is gonna just tear the kingdom from your hand. He's gonna give it to your neighbor. He was talking about David, he didn't say David, he didn't know it was David at the time, but he said the Lord is tearing the kingdom from your hand and he's gonna give it uh, to your neighbor. And it says at that moment that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. What that means is that he was not being empowered by the Lord for the service of being a king anymore, right? So this, this harmful spirit uh, that replaced the spirit of God in Saul's life, it, it turns into something. And what we see here is that it turns into this violent anger toward David. On one hand, it's really interesting how the chapter starts, right? We see David is having this great success on the battlefield as Saul puts him in charge of a thousand people, right? A thousand soldiers, and so he has this great success on the battlefield. He's finding all of this favor with the people. They love him. They love this guy. But there's nothing but growing tension and animosity when it comes to King Saul. You know, it's interesting because we, we have these two sort of divergent sort of storylines going on here. And, and it's interesting to think about how much as we open the chapter and we read about this relationship with Jonathan, how much we long for that, right? We, we long for this true relationship David has with Jonathan. Someone who loves us like their own soul is how it's described, but we all live in fear and in dread of what we read happening here with King Saul, of this toxic relationship David has to someone who reacts to him with selfishness and, and jealousy, and even worse yet, in David's case, it, it goes violent. So what I wanna do is I want us to unpack David's two contrasting relationships and just see what we can learn in terms of, of how we face 
the different kinds of friendships and relationships that God brings to us as the church. Because the first thing we see here is we see that David has a true friendship with Jonathan. And, and some of the elements contained in this friendship are, well, love, um, commitment, sacrifice, and surrender. We see that, right? Proverbs 17, 17, talking about love says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. This kind of describes, and we'll see the relationship between Jonathan and David unfold. This kind of describes their relationship, right? David has a friend in Jonathan who loved him in every season of his life. And his seasons, David's seasons, were about to go pretty dark for, for the next, you know, X number of years. They weren't going to be great for him. But the depth of that love that he had with Jonathan would, would carry him through some of the adversity that he had with Saul. So the Lord provided David with this friendship, this deep friendship that was characterized by love that was going to carry him through some of the, the toxicity that he experienced with Saul. So that's one of the elements when we talk about a free, true friendship is there is a, there's a love there. There's also a commitment. Jonathan was committed to David. In other words, David's life was his life. What does it say? He loved him as his own soul. It was like who you are, what you're becoming, what God's doing, that I'm all in on that. How can I help you? Um, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we see this. And we'll see this even more in the coming weeks. But eventually, this is what's interesting for us, is that Jonathan is going to protect David from, from his father, who, who keeps growing more violent toward David. Jonathan was so committed to David. He had his best interests in mind. He stayed committed to him, even when it meant having to go against his own dad. That's how deep the commitment was between Jonathan and David. And then we see this sense of sacrifice and surrender. Right? When we talk about like foundational elements of friendship, you know, we talk about things like love. We talk about things like commitment. We also talk about sacrifice. Like I'm willing to, to, to step into uncomfortable places. I'm willing to give up my rights for you. I'm willing to surrender things uh, for the betterment of, of you and your life because I'm your friend. We read in John 15, this is my, from Jesus, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to say this, it's a crazy line. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command you. Now this was Jesus speaking, but we look at some of the elements here that, that Jonathan had and that he models to us as David's friends. Jonathan gave up his right to the throne. That's what it means when he, when he gave up his sword and his bow and his armor to David. It means, it means that he was, he was the crown prince and he was giving up his right to the throne because he believed God had anointed David. And so true friendship, it's marked by a, by a sense of deep sacrifice and, and deep surrender to the betterment of the person that you're friends with. You know, we remember... Um, you know, remember the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if you read the books or you, or you saw the movie and you see Samwise, who is just this faithful friend to Frodo Baggins. And if you watch the movies, it's really heartbreaking at the end, right? It just gets so deep 
and tender and Frodo's like, this ring is affecting me and I don't know if I can make it to the end. Samwise goes, you can because I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna carry you. I'm gonna help you. I will, I'm gonna sacrifice whatever it takes to get you to where you need to go because I am the friend who is not gonna leave you as you're just finishing this perilous journey, right? And we see that and we stand back and we go, oh man, that's what I want. That's what I wanna be too. So it's not that I just even want a friend like that. I, I hope that I can be a friend like that. I hope that I can model to true friendship. Um, and yet we also know as, as we're thinking about these things, as we're considering things, we also realize that just friendships don't always pan out that way. You know, um, sometimes, you know, because we live in the world that we live in and we, we live with people that, have, that are facing all kinds of things, that, that, you know, are out of our control, sometimes friendships just kind of move. They weave in and out of our lives. And what was once a true friendship can go into, can go into disrepair, you know? And sometimes we're not able to be the friend that we wish we could be for all kinds of different reasons. Here's what we know about friendships. We don't know a lot about friendships. Here's what we know about friendships. They're fragile. Here's what we know about friendships. They're complex. They're complex. And so we see this true friendship that David has with Jonathan and it's inspiring and it gives us a model for our own lives in terms of what we hope to have when it comes to love, commitment, and sacrifice and surrender, what we hope to be to other people. But then we get this other relationship now, which isn't really a friendship, but it is a relationship um, paralleled with the true friendship of Jonathan and David, which is a toxic relationship that David has with King Saul. And here's some of the elements contained in this toxic relationship. We see fear, we see jealousy, we see disordered ambition, and then ultimately we see, we see violence. So um, this thing is not, as Nate Bargetti likes to say, going good, Right? It's not going good for David. The first thing we see as we kind of get a sense of what's going on with Saul is that we see this fear and this jealousy in verse eight when Saul says, what more can he have now but the kingdom? So Saul is seeing all the success that David is having and it's making him real uncomfortable. And he's saying, where is this gonna lead? If he is this loved by the people, if he is this ferocious on the battlefield, is he, if he's able to just literally kind of go out and um, take command of the army, wipe out our enemies. What does this mean other than he's the neighbor that's going to take the kingdom that has been torn from my hands? And so what happens is Saul has just assumed this fearful and jealous ownership of the throne when he sees David's success and his popularity. He turned David into a threat. Even though Samuel had already told him that this was the Lord's doing. This is what the Lord was going, uh, this is what the Lord had ordained. And so what we know when we look at relationships that just turn into something unhealthy, that turn into something rotten, that become toxic is that any relationship that, that's characterized by fear and jealousy will be one where trust has no soil to grow in, right? Trust has been eliminated from the picture. Um, you don't see the other person as a human being any longer. You see them as an obstacle. You see them as a barrier. You see them as a challenge. 
That is what David had become to Saul. Saul's fear and jealousy, it really had just dehumanized David. David is someone, he, this, is once, this wasn't a, a, a guy that was angling for the throne, remember? I mean, this was a shepherd who God just called and said, hey, you're my next guy. And of course, because the kingdom had been ripped out of Saul's hands, a lot of fear and jealousy came into it when he was suspecting that David was the next anointed king. Saul also had this thing about having disordered ambition. Disordered ambition. Saul didn't, didn't receive the prophetic words Samuel had spoken to him about his throne being torn away from him. What Saul thought was that if he just got rid of David, that he would somehow keep his throne in the family. We read in the book of James, we get a sense in James chapter three, verses 14. He's, uh, James tells us, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast or be false to the truth. He goes on to say, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So we see this played out in the life of Saul. We see this disordered ambition, this, this jealousy that had spiraled out of control because the spirit of God was not with Saul anymore. And so this particular kind of wisdom that had entered Saul's life, which was, hey, you know what? I gotta get rid of this guy that's threatening my throne. Well, it was a wisdom that was ultimately earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, and it turned into disorder. It turned into every vile practice, which we see a little bit of when Saul tries to spear David. And we'll see even more as he, he continues to come against David. It turns into ultimately violence. It turns into physical violence, this, this particular kind of toxicity. And that's what happens. It can get so bad that a person can develop violent thoughts or violent actions against another person. You know, remember the story of Cain and Abel, you know, uh, in Genesis, when, Ab when Cain sees that Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. And what happens to Cain? Well, he just gets, gets violently angry. He gets jealous. There's a lot of fear in him. Instead of exploring why, why is God accepting Abel's sacrifice? What can I do to come before the Lord and offer a sacrifice that's acceptable to him? Lord, talk to me. Help me understand. What do I need to repent of? What am I not seeing? Cain just responds out of disordered ambition, out of fear, out of jealousy. And ultimately, it turns into violence. That's how far these things can go. They don't always go that far. But that's how far these toxic relationships can go when the spirit of God isn't at the center of them gluing them together like we see with the kind of true friendship that David has with Jonathan. And so these passages, they, they cast a spotlight for us on the difficulty and the complexity of relationships. And, and you know, we, we can... We can come to relationships with the understanding and with the complex and with the understanding and with the acknowledgement that they are complex. Like it's probably good that we understand that. It's good that we don't go into anything naively. It's good that we don't go into anything thinking this is simple, right? 
Wisdom would tell us, no, there's underlying layers, especially when it comes to relationships, that if we do want to have a relationship like David had with Jonathan, where the spirit of God is right in the middle of it, knitting hearts together, love, commitment, and all of those kinds of elements that make for a, a true friendship, we, we really got to come to a place where we have to accept some of the difficulties and the challenges that come with those relationships. We gotta be able to navigate through those things. We gotta use wisdom in understanding what it is that we're dealing with and also being okay that sometimes things go awry. Being okay with sometimes things are complex, right? Because we know that relationships are fragile because why? Well, because we are fragile because we're people who are fragile and that it's easy for even a true friendship to turn toxic because there are a lot of things happening in our hearts that are threatening the health of our friendships, right? So we need to acknowledge the brokenness that exists in our hearts, right? We need to ask good questions. We need to seek honest answers for the relationships that may be in stages of, of brokenness and, and toxicity. We gotta be willing to have the kind of measuredness and maturity in our lives to say, hey, I, I just need to know what's going on. We don't always get answers. But I want to pursue, I want to pursue knowledge and I want to pursue wisdom. Here's a couple questions we can ask as the church as we're thinking about this in our own lives, right? Because this is obviously something that as a church we want to be thinking about as we're learning and we're seeing the way that David had to navigate these things because we are navigating these things. But a couple questions we can ask ourselves this morning is, are you someone who has let bitter jealousy or selfish ambition poison a relationship? The thing is, is as ugly as that sounds, that's something that can creep in way more easily than we believe that it can, right? And we've probably all been in relationships where either we've been the ones that have let that creep in or we've seen it creep in with somebody else and we've, we've felt it start to affect us. The second question is, have you spread that poison to others through gossip or slander, right? Those are important questions that when I say that, y'all get a little quiet. But, but we're speaking as a group here. We're speaking as a church here. Right? We're, we're speaking as people who know that we are susceptible to these things. Right? We're speaking knowing that the church is susceptible to relationship breakdowns. All we have to do, if we don't believe that, is read First and Second Corinthians, where Paul addresses a church that is just mired in a bunch of relationship breakdowns. Right? The Lord wants us, his people, to acknowledge these truths. And then he also wants us to do some things too. He wants us to do everything in our power while empowered by the spirit to pursue reconciliation, to pursue peace, to seek forgiveness, to try to make amends. The problem is that when we let ungodly ambition and bitterness get a foothold in the relationships that we have, it's going to affect everything that we do. It affects literally everything that we do. It's going to affect our prayers, right? Which is why we're told, hey, if you have something against your brother or if your brother has something against you, before you come up to the altar, before you partake in communion, before you pray to the Lord, 
do everything in your power to try to find some peace and reconciliation. Inasmuch as you can make peace, try to make peace, doesn't mean you always get it. It says for your own heart and your own conscience, inasmuch as you can, pursue that. Really important lessons for us as the church, right? Because these things affect everything we do. They affect our prayers. They're, they're going to cause us to suppress our conscience and our conviction until we take action. So when we see this toxic relationship that Saul had with David, it's, it's, so, it's, it's sober. It's sobering. We see a very extreme version of this. We also see an inequality you know, in, in the power dynamic too. Obviously Saul was the king and he had a way of, of harming David in a way that David didn't have with Saul, nor, nor would he take the opportunity if he did. But we all need to take a hard look at our, at our hearts because relationships are complex and they're fragile. And as much as we desire true friendship, um, sometimes, we, sometimes we find ourselves with toxic relationships. We need to know how to navigate those. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who's in one of these relationships. Maybe you've, you've tried to make peace. Maybe you're like, Ronnie, I've attempted. I've, I've attempted to make amends. Maybe you're like David and you, ha you haven't repaid evil for evil. We're gonna see David treat Saul that way over the coming weeks. As Saul just keeps doubling down on David, David continues to act graciously and respectfully towards him. When that situation, when we're, in, when we're involved in that kind of a situation in a relationship where we have, we've tried um, to make peace, you know, when we don't get the peace that we're trying for and we don't get the amends that we are trying to make, we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust that ultimately he will judge justly, that he responds to us in kindness. And so we are able to, even in situations that remain in a broken or a strange state, we can respond in kindness. And here is why ultimately you and I can endure even though... Um, Toxic, toxic relationships like Saul can sometimes characterize our life. Different pockets of our church can affect us personally. Here's why you can endure through a relationship even like that. And it's because you have a faithful friend in Jesus. Does that sound too simple? Does that sound too basic? I didn't need a seminary degree to probably get to that one, you know? Um, you know what I hate about that answer? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, what I hate about that answer is, is I, I hate how basic it is. I wish I could explain to you all the depths of that answer. I'm going to read some scripture here that is going to point to the depths of that answer. But for me to stand up here and say, hey guys, you have a faithful friend in Jesus. That goes deeper than the core of the earth for you all. And there's something wrong in me that feels like I have to keep talking right now because I feel like it's so simple, it's so basic, it's so Sunday school that it can be so easily unheard and dismissed and walked away from and go, yeah, I get it, Ronnie. There's a friend in Jesus. Is that, are we closing the service with that song? Is that how you plan the liturgy? but you have a faithful friend 
in Jesus Christ. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Covenant, Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, who know he is God, in other words, who stand back and go, oh man, all this muck and all this mire that I'm drowning in, in the fallenness and the brokenness. The Lord is over that. He's also in it, but he's in control of it. John 15, 15, Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. What's difficult about our friendships and where they sometimes go awry is that we aren't spending the time to get to know each other. We aren't investing the time in one another to actually get to know what's at the heart of our hearts. And what we see here with Jesus is that when he says, I call you friend, he's, he's not just saying, hey man, I got, a new, I got a new way to describe our relationship, right? I'm DTRing us right now and I used to call you servants. Now I'm calling you friends. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you something that speaks to the knowability, that speaks to the intimacy that exists between you and I right now. I know you. Some people aren't gonna take the time to know you to that degree. But Jesus says, I know you. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends because not only do I know you, but you can know me. There's an exchange of intimacy. There's an exchange of knowability. And that goes deeper than the core of the earth for us. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. We read this earlier, greater love is no man than he lays down his life. You are my friends if, I, if you do what I command you. So we have this relationship, we have this friendship with Jesus. And as, we, as our hearts have been changed by him and we love him, we are committed to him, we sacrifice for him, we surrender our lives to him, that we, this relationship that we see modeled between Jonathan and David, Jesus said, you're my friends. You are my friends. You are the people that I know. You are the people that are going to know me. And there is a depth there that's going to increase and increase and increase. Because here's the thing. Here's the reality. When we're struggling with this friendship stuff, and it's not true, but it's toxic, this is what's happening. We are lonely. It's a lonely place to be in. It's a lonely place to be in when you're struggling with friendships. It's crushing. And it's lonely. And some of y'all are, are lonely today. Some of y'all wish that you had friendships that maybe mimicked a friend that you had years and years ago. Maybe it was a friendship you had when you were young. You've just never experienced anything like that again, going into adulthood when friendships change. And you grieve that, and there's a grief when you look at some of the friendships that you've had. Because ultimately you feel, you feel alone. You feel lonely. What Jesus is trying to say is that you don't have to be alone when you understand and know that you have a friend that never leaves and never forsakes. It doesn't mean that we discount the physical friends that we have in the world. We don't. God gives us those friends, right? But we also know that those things ebb and flow. And we're going to see this in the relationship David had with Jonathan and certainly in the relationship he had with Saul. 
But how about a friend that never leaves? Jesus offers himself to us as that friend. So maybe you don't have a friend. The loneliness and pain, it feels like a weight that is crushing you. Maybe you don't know how to be a friend. Maybe you've had a lot of relationships go sour. Maybe you're in the middle of a, of a toxic relationship. It was something that began as a true friendship, but it went sour. Maybe you're in a dangerous relationship that you need to get away from immediately. We can just keep going. We don't have all the time in the world, but this thing splinters out in all of these, all of these ways. Here's a few things we can remember. Number one is that the Lord was aware of what David was heading into. Isn't that great? It wasn't like the Lord was like, hey, I see the friendship with Jonathan, but I see something's going on over there with Saul. Just let me know how that goes. I don't have time to focus on that. It's like, no, no, no. The Lord was aware of the relationship between Jonathan and Saul. And he was with David through both of those things and the different kinds and levels of pain that both were eventually going to cause David, by the way. Number two, good and bad relationships. They lead us to the cross if we let them. They lead us to the cross. They remind us of our fragility. They remind us of our brokenness. They remind us that we need Jesus, not just as a faithful friend, but as a faithful savior, because we don't got a handle on this stuff. We don't got a handle on this stuff. And thirdly, we should remember that all relationships point to the relationship that we have with Jesus, good and bad. The bad ones point to Jesus by reminding us that that relationship ain't ever going to go bad. The good ones point to Jesus and make us grateful because they model something that we receive unfailingly from Jesus. Both point to Jesus. If we let them both point to Jesus. And you know, sometimes in your life, it's going to be hard for those relationships to point you to Jesus. Why? Because they're hard. Because they're broken. There are times when the Lord has us in a friendship wilderness. We're going to see that in David. And we have to remember that Jesus is our, our true and faithful friend. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He always listens. He always understands. He's always full of mercy and grace and compassion. His love, commitment, sacrifice, and surrender were proven by his coming and by the cross. Jared Wilson writes this, he says, there is a friend, there is no friend closer than Jesus. As we follow him, he never strides too far ahead. He never dodges or ditches us. If we are weary, he slows. If we pull up lame, he stops. If we wander, he circles back. He won't let us be lost. God was not letting David and he would not let David be lost with any of these things that were going to become his future with both Jonathan and Saul. So, although we're not going to sing it, it's helpful to remember the old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend that you and I have in Jesus, wherever we may be at today in one of the most fragile and complex things that the Lord um, has given to us and that so often goes wrong uh, in our lives. This brings us back once again to the faithfulness 
and the friendship of Jesus. And you know, when we take communion, which we're gonna do here in a minute, um, when we eat that bread, symbolizing his body, when we drink the cup, symbolizing his blood, we are eating and drinking in this newly established friendship that Jesus has made with us because of the cross. That's why Jesus said, I now call you friends. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a dot, I'm gonna cross that T and I'm gonna, I'm gonna dot that I on the cross. When he was saying this to his disciples, I call you friends now. And I'm gonna solidify that on the cross. We are friends. We don't have this wall and this barrier. That's what we're celebrating in communion. That barrier has been broken down by Christ's work on the cross. His broken body, his shed blood, it's what we need so that we can have a faithful friend in Jesus. If you are somebody who has not received the grace and the mercy of Jesus through repentance of your sins, what would it look like for you to go before the Lord in humility this morning so that you could have a faithful friend that never leaves, never forsakes through the entirety of your life and then beyond this life? What would that look like for you? If that's you, if you're in that place, we're gonna ask that you not receive communion today because communion is for those people that have come into that relationship with Jesus. But I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna give you an opportunity. And I pray that the Lord would stir in your hearts by the words that we've read in 1 Samuel today because they're his word. And that they might help you see that in your life, all the things that you and the people that you have put around you that have failed you. We have somebody who said, I am with you and I will never fail you and I will never leave you. We you bow your heads, pray with me. Lord, we thank you as, as we read the, the life of David, as we see that he was just a man, um, he was a man after your own heart, but he was still just a man. And the things that you allowed him to face and to go through are the very same things that we face and go through. And though none of us are called to be uh, an earthly king, um, we still see all the same elements that come up in our lives, that we face, that we struggle through. And one of these elements, this friendship piece, Lord, in our lives, we long for true friendships. We struggle uh, with varying degrees of toxic relationships. Lord, we face these things. Uh, they can be confusing. Um, and they're always very complex to us, Lord. So we acknowledge that. And we ask that you would work in our lives the way that you worked in David's life. Lord, that you would be our friend, that you would walk with us wherever we go, that you would carry us um, when we just can't take another step. We know that you don't fall behind us. We know that you pause and you wait for us. We know that you will never let us be lost. So Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that as we take communion like you commanded us to as your church, as we drink this cup symbolizing your shed blood, as we eat this bread symbolizing your broken body, that Lord, we would just be filled with gratefulness because not only do we have a faithful friend, but we have a willing savior that came, that died, so that we might know what it is to have life and have life more abundantly. So Lord, wherever we find ourselves today, 
in the mess and in the complexities of friendship, Lord. We are reminded as we take these elements that as your church, we have a forever friend. We have a lasting and comforting presence in our life that will never fail us. And for that, Lord, we celebrate you, we thank you, and we take these elements with joy. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.